This episode of Sundays with Kate is sponsored by Masami, a premium hair care line with a Japanese ocean botanical called Mikabo. Masami was created to give your hair the ultimate in botanical hydration. Your hair will feel more manageable, softer, shinier, and overall healthier after just one use. Masami is gender neutral with light, fresh scent. Available as shampoo, conditioner, styling cream, and shine serum. All designed to be lightweight, non-greasy, with good ingredients, vegan, and cruelty-free. Find us at lovemasami.com. L-O-V-E-M-A-S-A-M-I dot com. What do you do on Sundays? We talk about Kate Blanchett. The acting, the costumes, the awards, but mostly the Blanchett of it all. Oh, oh I'm not acting. <laughs> you think this is a love affair? I saw you, Erica. Meeting in the middle. This is Sundays with Kate. And I'm your host, Murtada El Fadl. Welcome to a new episode of Sundays with Kate. This is Murtada El Fadl. And this is our podcast series about the films of Kate Blanchett. And we have a couple of films for you today. But before we get into those, let me welcome my guest, Shelly Farmer. Hi, Shelly. Hello. Before we start talking about Kate, tell our listeners a little bit about you. Uh, hi, I'm Shelley Farmer. I am a writer um, for places like Paper Magazine, Slate, uh, Roger Ebert, and I'm also the film publicist at the Brooklyn Academy of Music. So we are talking about the episode of Documentary Now, Waiting for the Artists, which starred Kate and was released earlier this year. Later in the program, we'll also talk about Manifesto, the artistic project that she did with Julian Rosenfeld a couple of years ago that started an installation and became a movie. But let's start with Waiting for the Artist, which is an episode of the third season of Documentary Now. It is, as all of Documentary Now episodes are, a spoof of a documentary film. This time it's the Marina Abramovich film, The Artist is Present, which is a 2012 documentary chronicling Abramovich's exhibit and retrospective of the same title that ran at the Museum of Modern Art in New York in 2010. But let's talk documentary now. Shelly, you love this show, right? I love this show. I cannot believe that this show exists. It is so specific and so niche, and it's so completely thorough that it can't be cheap to make. And it's also made by some very high-profile comedians who are surely very busy, and yet somehow this show, I guess, was like willed into existence by a bunch of film nerds who knew that they needed this in their lives. <laughs> it is so funny. I, I haven't watched a lot of episodes. Like, my first introduction to it was this episode, and then I went back and watched a few. Mm. It is so much fun. It's great, yeah. No, and it's, it's um, if anyone is not aware of what it is, it's um, a series in which each episode satirizes a specific famous documentary. So they've done, uh, like, Hoop Dreams, they've done uh, Great Gardens, Jiro Dreams of Sushi. Uh, my personal favorite is one that was this season. It is a, a satire of D.A. Pennebaker's uh, company original cast album called Co-op. Um, <laughs> that was so much fun. I love that one. That <laughs> yes. was one of the very first ones I saw. Yeah, it's got an incredible original score and just, like, beat for beat, so spot on about, like, 70s musicals where everyone is, like, having a mental breakdown because they're recording over 24 hours, and they're all smoking packs of cigarettes all night long. <laughs> Company is so big in the culture right now. It's in Marriage Story. Yeah. It's coming to Broadway in a couple of months. So yeah. 
But we're here to talk about Waiting for the Artist, and this is the episode Kate plays Isabella Barda, mm-hmm. who is a take on Marina Abramovich, and the artist is present. Like, Kate is known as this ace mimic, right? Like, she did mm-hmm. Catherine Hepburn. Yes. She did <laughs> Bob Dylan. But I actually, when I saw this, I have not seen The Artist is Present. And mm-hmm. I just thought it was a funny <laughs> performance. But then I looked at just clips from The Artist is Present and I was amazed at, about how <laughs> spot on she is doing Marina Abramovich. Yeah, it's very, very accurate. To the extent that I was reading earlier today, I think it was Artnet, um, had an interview with Fred Armisen where he talked about making the episode um, Fred Armisen plays her sometime lover, a um, sort of... An artist called uh, Demo, an right? An artist called Demo, who is a bit of um, a fake. Yeah. <laughs> he's, not but, the real, he's not the real artist. The real yeah. artist is Isabella. Yeah, who's, it's va- like vaguely based on Abramovich's relationship with the artist Ule. A bit more um, spiky and hard. Yeah. A bit more absurdist. <laughs> a bit more absurdist. Um, but yeah, so in this interview, Fred Armisen said that um, that Kate Blanchett's uh, dedication to this was such that they filmed it in Budapest. And when she came onto set, she had gotten like false teeth put in so that she could more accurately like have her face look like Abramovich's and like mimic her speech patterns. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, she is a perfectionist. Yes. <laughs> so the story follows kind of the artist's present story. So it is about Isabella Barta preparing for mm-hmm. a retrospective, mm-hmm. a retrospective uh, of her art in her native Hungary. So mm-hmm. they made her Hungarian. Yes. Um, and they shot in Budapest. And so then during the half hour show, they get to recreate a lot of her previous exhibitions. And so you get kind of takes on a lot of Marina Abramovich's mm-hmm. work. But the main sort of setup, the main story is about her inviting this ex-lover who is terrible, <laughs> basically a terrible man, mm-hmm. played by by Fred Armisen to come and share Mm -hmm. the exhibition with her. And then, of course, there is a twist, which is a very funny twist. (laughs) Yeah, and it's interesting because obviously Abramovich is like the main point of reference in this, but... I, you know, I'm no artist, uh, no expert on performance art. I'm like a complete dilettante, but like <laughs> there are moments that feel like they are referencing other like famous works of performance art. Like mm. there's one in which, um, she has a bucket on her head with a smiley face painted yeah. onto it. Uh, it has to go answer a phone ringing in the middle of the room. And the men in attendance are told to put things all over the floor that she then like trips and falls on and becomes injured as she tries to do it. It's a great piece of like slapstick comedy, but it mm. also echoes the Yoko Ono cut piece where, you know, people, she was sat in the middle of a room, people started cutting bits of her clothing off, um, which then it's sort of like about like the hive mind of the audience. So, you know, people started out very, um, very slowly taking like small bits. And then by the end of it, like, especially the men became very emboldened. Like if you watch footage of it, there's like this one guy who like sort of peacocks up and like smiles out to the audience and then like starts cutting her top off and like cuts her bra straps yes and then she has to like cover her breasts oh how Um, awful yeah but yeah so the episode is also like super attuned to the sexism in in the arts world yeah we'll say it's not subtext it's actually the text of it (laughs) is how basically isabella Mm -hmm. is an artist who works for her art and is Mm. brilliant Mm -hmm. but demo doesn't do anything yeah and then the charlatan (laughs) who's sort of like a parasite on her work like they have one piece that is literally just like a recreation of her own work yeah when he's asked about it in an interview he's like 
Well, when she did it, it was one man. And when I did it, it's a two people. <laughs> <laughs> so he's stealing from her. He's yeah. stealing her. He's stealing her thunder <laughs> and getting all the credit. Like Even like the funny, the there's a funny little bit where they do this performance piece where they have she goes up the stairs and he's mm. going down the stairs even though going down the stairs is so is so much easier mm -hmm. he still takes the elevator and right. then starts talking to people yeah. and, and they're both wearing ski boots as they yeah. <laughs> yeah and so yeah. and even that he messes it up and doesn't yeah. do his job which makes it very very funny and yeah um, Kate and Fred Armisen play off of each other very well. Mm -hmm. And it's funny that, uh, I mean, are we allowed to do spoilers? In no, sure. Just, it's it's on Netflix. Everybody can yes. see it. It's 27 minutes. Just, you can stop right now, go watch it, come back and yeah. listen. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I mean, the sort of like whole thrust of the narrative in this is that he is this sort of like freeloader fake artist it feels very of the moment considering the art basel uh, banana incident um in which you know an artist like taped bananas to the wall yeah. they were selling for like 120 whatever thousand dollars uh that was then eaten by another <laughs> another artist but yeah so like a, a recurring thing is that demo this other artist is like i put on a show and i my point is to not do any work i go to the corner store the day before and i buy a bunch of crap um, <laughs> so you see her like sort of abjection throughout it as he like constantly uses her and gets acclaim for like doing no work while she pours her entire self into this. But the sort of twist at the end is that like he gets his comeuppance and mm -hmm. then she tells the audience that like she was never really the victim in any of the scenarios. Um, that because she's a woman in art, it's assumed that she must be a victim, but she actually was, you know, had control of everything the entire time because she's an artist. Yeah. Which I think also opens some interesting questions because... A sort of like maybe straightforward reading of it is this sort of like feminist like you know, girl power thing of like yeah. she actually outsmarted them all yeah but I think it also opens some uh difficult questions about artists of like authenticity and you know life versus art and like making your art out of your life mm -hmm. and does art lose its value if there's if it lacks that authenticity, which mm -hmm. I think really connects to Manifesto in an interesting way. Yeah. Um, yeah. There are a lot of questions because both these artists, even though this is an absurdist half-hour comedy, mm -hmm. like the characters, both of them use their life as their art. Mm -hmm. Everything they do is, it's performance art, but it's also using not just their life, but also their relationship with each other. And mm -hmm. again, they use it for their art, they use it against it. They use their art against each other. Mm -hmm. So it's to your point. It's really interesting. Yeah, it's a sort of like mutually parasitic relationship. Even <laughs> if like the demo character maybe isn't aware of just how much she's using him as well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it, it feels very cheesy to keep uh, referring to Sondheim, but you know, thinking of <laughs> we can. Yes, <laughs> he is part of the documentary now family, exactly. right? They did an episode about. Company. He's in the zeitgeist, um, but yeah, but it, it uh, makes me think of like the song "Finishing the Hat" and like yeah. that idea that like everything in your life is like simply grist for your art, and like mm. is that like ultimately a, a sort of cruel way to live or an inauthentic way to live if like everything you do is mediated through this idea of using it to create create art. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, so I think that, I don't know if they maybe intended it as a more sort of straightforward, like, she wins moment, but I also found it, like, kind of troubling as well. Yeah, and that's what makes, like, this is, you know, a TV show, a half-hour comedy TV show, mm -hmm. but 
to just all these things that you brought up. It's so much deeper than that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's very smartly written. Um, yeah. Yeah. And do you, would you say, if we just go a little bit away from this episode, would you say that all the episodes are that this way? Since I think you've watched them all, right? I haven't watched them all. Um, I think that this one more so than a lot of the other ones. And I mm-hmm. think it, because it's so dependent on what film it's parodying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and maybe this one brought these things. Yeah, to the I think that yeah. this one inevitably raises those questions, just like by virtue of the sort of art that like Abramovich does, and like the sort of movie that the artist's present is. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also would like to think that you know the people behind the series were just when they got an actor of Kate Blanchett's caliber, mm-hmm. maybe they raised their game a little bit more. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, because yeah, this is like super detailed. Like I mean, if you look at something like. Um, they're like Jiro Dreams of Sushi parody. I think it's called like Juan Loves Chicken or something. Um, <laughs> that it's a lot more sort of like straightforward, funny, heartwarming family story. Yeah. It doesn't have necessarily all these like layers about like authenticity and representation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And I, I want to talk a little bit about Kate's performance. I think she is so funny. She's it's great. so funny in this, in this role. She usually sometimes plays ridiculous. Like she has mm-hmm. done, you know, Indiana Jones and, mm. and she has done Cinderella where she plays these very ridiculous big performances in studio movies. Mm-hmm. But I don't think she's ever been this funny as she is in Waiting for the Artist. Yeah, I mean, something that I find interesting about her as an actor is her sort of like hyper theatricality and the sort of like archness that I think mm-hmm. is present in pretty much all of her performances that I've seen, like... She's not someone that I look to for, you know, naturalism. I think that she, when she finds truth in her performance, it's usually through, through artificiality. Mm-hmm. And, but I mean, that being said, this, <laughs> this performance has a lot of affect to it. Like she's yeah. got the fake teeth. She's got like the accent. She does like Marina Bromwich's laugh. Like you yeah. brought early, earlier where she's like, <laughs> I know. <laughs> I totally, that was so funny. That scene where she's like, I'm feeling it in my uterus. And yeah. then she does the laugh. And I thought that was just something she did. But yeah. then when I saw Abramovich, she does that. Yeah, it's perfect. But that being said, it's like there, it, there are all these elements of artificiality to mm-hmm. it. Yeah. But it's such a like full bodied performance. Like mm-hmm. you see her doing these like, art pieces within the film like they have all these you know quote-unquote like archival performances on film and it's her like running and throwing herself against a wall like her like (laughs) doing this like slapstick stuff of like falling on her ass like as she's like slipping on a skateboard like that there is like full commitment to it which is really and they shot it all in like nine days and she did all these things like she was inside the refrigerator and doing all these things and you know uh, it's it's crazy she's very committed Mm -hmm. I also love the tenderness that she brought to the performance she was completely non-judgmental of this woman Isabella Barta and I think this is what Sam Adams in Slade gets at in his review and I'll quote it here there is a genuine and familiar tragedy underneath Blanchett's Slavic accent and she doesn't play the part for laughs there's humor in the episode, but it's the humor of recognition, not release. Even if it's fiction, waiting for the artist still feels like it's documenting something real. The accent, obviously, she's somebody who mm. nails accents mm. all the time, wherever she is, wherever, whoever the character she's playing is from, the accent mm. is always perfect. And this one well, was... I would disagree with that based on Manifesto, but continue. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll get to Manifesto, but like, I was thinking of like doing Catherine Hepburn or sure. doing The Gift, <laughs> yeah. or when she does The Missing, or all these other where, or mm-hmm. her perfect sort of 
New York mm-hmm. um, Upper East Side accent is in Blue Jasmine. And this is another one. She got Marina Abramovich. The, the cadences, mm-hmm. the accent, the way she talks. I just love, like, I can hear it in my head right now when she's <laughs> like, it's, it's supposed to be radical. Yeah. <laughs> and I can't do the accent. Sure, sure. <laughs> but it's just so funny because yeah. what she's saying is funny, but also just the way she says it. Mm-hmm. I'm very nervous. This is a big deal, I tell you. <laughs> Got pain in my uterus already. Each room has one of my historic pieces performed by, by someone else. And then I will be here in the last room. And then I cover the walls in, uh, right? in gasoline. Then I light the gasoline. Big fire. And then I run out of the museum before it burns down. Uh, what don't you like? Fire is very unsafe. And... Yes, but art is not supposed to be safe. It's, it's supposed to be radical. But there are still rules to starting fires indoors. Whose rules? The city. Mm-hmm. We could apply for, for permits. No, it's ruined. You were doing Fred Armisen earlier, and you were much better than I am. <laughs> Thank you. Finding Grazie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's but yeah, I think she she's really great with the accent work on this. Yeah, amazing, precise accent work. So I think we both recommend Waiting for the Artist, right? It's, oh, it's so it's, good. It's oh. only twenty-seven minutes. So much fun. Mm-hmm. Oh no, it's great. I mean, honestly, you know, sorry, no shade to Julian Roosevelt, but I think that. This is a much more interesting portrait of the artist than Manifesto. <laughs> so Manifesto is the other Kate Blanchett project that we are talking about today. It was an installation that became a film. So it is directed by Julian Rosenfeld, who is an artist. This is the official synopsis. So it's a little bit pretentious. It says Manifesto pays homage to the tradition and literary beauty of artistic manifestos, ultimately questioning the role of the artist in society today. To put out a manifesto, you must want A, B, C to fulminate against one, two, three. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. All current art is fake. Nothing is original, okay? So you can steal from anywhere that resonates with inspiration and fuels your imagination, okay? So it's basically 12 artistic manifestos, Mm -hmm. all of them delivered by Kate, wearing 13 different characters. So she plays 13 different characters. And when you say plays, it's, they're not full characters. There is just, it's the makeup, the hair, the Mm -hmm. way she looks, the costumes are different Mm -hmm. from scene to scene. There is one of them where there's actually two of her. Mm -hmm. So she plays off herself but they're not full characters because there is they don't have a story all they all they do is either they deliver Mm -hmm. the manifesto straight to the camera or the manifesto is sort of read in the voice of the character while they shoot Mm -hmm. but it is sort of virtuoso I I think one of the MVPs of this is definitely the makeup and hair designer because she plays a homeless older man Mm -hmm. she plays British punk rocker. Um, She plays, I think, an Eastern European, maybe, a choreographer. Mm -hmm. A very angry woman at a funeral. (laughs) Uh (laughs) So these are just, so there's 13 of them, but these are just some of them. Mm -hmm. 
this was an installation first and then it became a movie. And I think they made it a movie because they wanted to pay for the installation, basically. Mm-hmm. I saw the installation at the Armory in New York. And I have to say the installation was better than the movie. What do you think, <laughs> Shelley? Uh, I did not see the installation. Um, I, I'm sort of torn on the film. I think that there are parts that are very interesting. I think that as a showcase for her technical ability as an actor, it's very impressive. Mm-hmm. Um, like you said, she's not really playing sort of like layered characters. She's playing these sort of like broad archetypes. And mm-hmm. I think it was like a truly a fun exercise for her to like put on these different wigs and try out different accents um and And to do it all in nine days or seven days something something ridiculous like that yeah Yeah. and it was clearly it's funny that you mentioned that they did the um film to get the budget basically for the the gallery Mm -hmm. um because it looks incredibly expensive um but yeah i don't know i find something sort of i'm still sort of sorting through my thoughts on this but i find something vaguely suspect about the premise Mm. um it's like we were talking earlier about like when this movie came out and when the documentary now episode came out yeah we were a little bit unsure on like when the movie itself actually came out but the gallery at least was in 2015 yes it feels very much of that time um it feels very sort of pre-trump in Mm. that it's this sort of like self-reflective metatextual art for art's sake piece Mm -hmm. um a bit navel gazing, right? It's a bit navel gazing, but more more than that, I think it's interesting that it's taking these different artistic manifestos that generally speaking, something like this where people set down these sort of like rigorous rules for like art and meaning and like ways in which we should pursue truth, they often come out of times of like tumult or, you know, particularly like political suffering. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um mm-hmm. and it's the piece has a sort of like kind of like flip attitude towards them like it the way that um they're contextualized is oftentimes like almost condescending is there one in particular you're thinking of well (laughs) this one i don't mind so much because it doesn't feel like it was coming out of such like a um sort of like fraught political moment Mm -hmm. but the scene where she's playing the school teacher reciting the dogma 95 manifesto is a real fuck you to the the dogma movement (laughs) Um, because she's literally playing a school teacher to small children, uh, reciting this manifesto and then going amongst the students, like she's giving it to them as an assignment Yeah. and going amongst them as they're like writing on their papers and going like, oh no, we only use natural light. No, 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 no. We don't use genre. Like it's, especially coming at like almost the very end of this project that is like pure artifice and is like Mm -hmm. so like antithetical to everything Dogma 95 was advocating for, which like, I'm a you know, the biggest fan of, like, the Dogma 95 films, but it's, like... But it was, it was actually kind of funny in the way that it was, like... Yeah, they were definitely like, commenting on yeah. Dogma 95, because to your point, right. everything about this is not Dogma 95. Yeah, like, right. they spent most of, I think, the time in creating these mm-hmm. fake characters right. by wigs and makeup and yeah, costumes right. and everything, mm-hmm. and her playing all the parts, which is fake, too. Which yeah. total antithesis to Dogma 95. Right. Yes, and or then like, it's, like, Dogma 95 will make a scene with kids yeah like the fact that she's literally speaking to children in this didactic way it's like okay we get it you think that like dogma 95 is simplistic and like juvenile but even like the the dada segment where she's literally delivering at a funeral as Mm -hmm. she's like death to culture it's like a bit on the nose yeah but yeah but it is interesting like you know something like dada that was coming out of like a very tumultuous period Mm -hmm. or it's even just like the idea of stacking these manifestos side by side not creating any sort of like 
qualitative difference between them necessarily. Oftentimes the words are obscured by the sound design. Mm -hmm. It felt as though the film didn't take any of them seriously. Yeah. Which, which is I fine. Mean, That's his project. But it's also like, that feels weird in 2019 in a time mm -hmm. in which like, I think a lot of artists we're all currently trying to figure out, like, how does art respond to crisis? Yeah. And to see something that is so flippant about the idea that, like, art could have any sort of impact on that is yeah. interesting. Yeah, it, it. I don't even think it works as a movie. So yeah. having seen the installation, the installation I was interesting in that you basically had to go around on your own mm -hmm. time. And, mm -hmm. you know, there were 12 installations mm -hmm. and... It is the same segments that are in the movie they played. Mm -hmm. And then there is a point when they're all timed together. And there is a mm -hmm. point which is the last bit in the movie where all 12 installations come together. And wherever you are in the uh. exhibition, the screen will show the same things. And it will be 12 Kate Blanchett's basically coming at you, <laughs> delivering that bit. Sure. <laughs> so it had an effect as an exhibition. Yeah that I think it completely loses it in right. the movie, and I don't think it works as a movie I mean, is that all. the sort of, like, final image, the, like, yeah. Brady Bunchy sort yes. of thing, where it's all those small... Yeah, okay, yeah. interesting. But in the exhibition, you see that 12 times. Okay, Because if you want to see every yeah. every installation, you have got it, to got go it. from one to the next. Sure. And by the end, you've seen it 12 times. Got it, okay. And it's a cumulative effect. Sure. It's a cumulative effect. Sure, yeah. I think it's an interesting exercise. Um, I do think that... Rosenfeld a little bit is like hedging his bets mm -hmm. or maybe not hedging his bets but maybe just like sort of like outright dismissing the idea of responsibility or of an idea that there can be a correct way to make art which like is a completely fair perspective to have mm -hmm. but even the like the title cards used in the beginning which you know he's got several quotes like saying from Malievich's uh, Suprematism Manifesto art requires truth not sincerity there's this um, Elaine Sturdivant, I think is how you pronounce it, uh, quote, that all current art is fake. And then this Jarmish quote, which he says, nothing is original, steal from anywhere that resonates with inspiration or fuels your imagination. So it's this sort of like magpie process in which he's like borrowing from a lot of different people. And like, and like at the end, there's a Ghadar quote that says, like, it's not where you take things from, it's where you take them to in the Dogma 95 section. So it's this sort of like magpie mishmash it, that ultimately like signals to me that he as an artist doesn't really have any sort of code, which is, I mean, that in itself, I guess, is a stance, but yeah. it seems weird in the context of all of these like pretty like rigorous ideas of like what art is. Yeah, I, I didn't get either from the installation or from the movie what the artist's point of view in yeah. this is. All I got is that they delivered these manifestos. There was definitely work and meticulous mm -hmm. work in, in filming it and in, mm -hmm. and in the installation itself and in the performance. Mm -hmm. But to what end? Right. I don't know. Right. And it's it feels strange that like it doesn't feel like there's any sort of like center of gravity. Like there's no essential point of view of like what makes good art. But like in the way that he has this sort of, you know, kind of condescending approach to something like Dogma 95. It's like, okay, so we know what you don't think is good but, <laughs> but what do you think but is what good? do you think is good yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah there's no point of view but it is like there are fun aspects of it oh for sure yeah so I mean, the performance has, the performances they're uneven mm -hmm. not all of them work <laughs> yeah. but they are sort of fun like i love even though i love the data segment because mm -hmm. it's just 
She has the wig. She's covering right. her her face. Mm-hmm. She's at a funeral. She's all in black. And then every time she will just throw Dada. And the, the, the way she says it, yeah. she changes the way she says it every time. Uh-huh. And it's just as a performance piece, mm-hmm. it's, it's fun to watch. Dada, 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 Dada. Some of the other things I really enjoyed in this movie is that she makes a little doll of herself. That was fun to look at. She pays homage to Norma Desmond with her headscarf when she's playing the choreographer. And also, I think also in the Dada segment, it's very funny where Kate is dragging us all, all of us who are on Twitter, on social media, when she says, when discourse is opinion, when you don't have to know anything yet, you think you know everything. Drag us, Kate. Drag us. Loved it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, like as an exercise for Kate Blanchett, I think it's a really good time. But <laughs> yes. yeah, I just have been, and like, you know, maybe I need to see it again, maybe need a bit more distance, but I just truly couldn't dig down to like what. What's it? What's it all about, Alfie? You know. Yeah. I mean, I I sort of get, I guess, conceptually, this idea that like he is synthesizing all of these different artistic points of view, and he's having this one artist deliver them all with sort of like the implication that like every artist contains like the entire history of art within them and mm-hmm. contains all these multitudes. But I don't know. It just felt like a bit of a cop out to me. Yeah, maybe. But I I want to go back to sort of like the the conceptions of the character and the performance mm-hmm. of it because. I don't know what does this add to Kate's reputation mm-hmm. as an artist, as an actor. Mm-hmm. She's primarily an actor of stage, of screen. Mm-hmm. So she did this collaboration with this visual artist. Mm-hmm. And because, I think because she is this world-renowned actor, then it became a movie. Mm-hmm. But sort of like, what does it do to her reputation? Or what does it add or subtract? Like I think, for instance, if you compare it to documentary now, that is mm-hmm. such a fun performance yeah. in a TV show. People can just enjoy it. It just shows that she can go she can be more fun than she is maybe sometimes Mm -hmm. the roles that are given to her in movies afford her Mm -hmm. but this one is to me is a little strange is that Mm -hmm. it shows her versatility as an actor playing 13 characters in 94 minutes or and shooting them in seven days so hooray that's (laughs) that's definitely something you know it's an accomplishment but I don't know if it adds anything to her reputation as an artist I would say from my point of view, I mean, my favorite performance that I have seen her do is when she did Uncle Vanya with the Sydney Theater Company that came mm, to yeah. City Center. Mm-hmm. I thought she was gorgeous in it. Like she struck like such a striking figure. Like, and she was like deeply like soulful and was able to play so many notes, whether it was like tragedy or, you know, this really like skilled comedy. But mm-hmm. I think that you wouldn't know that she was an actor capable of that from watching this. Cause I think that this, as impressive as it is, I think it could also be lobbed against her as sort of proof of, I think uh, maybe a point of view that maybe some people have that she is like a very skilled technician, but not necessarily like someone with a lot of soul. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and these, these characters don't have soul yeah. just because of the concept of the movie. Yeah. Right. Exactly. That they, they're, they're really impressive technical achievements. Um, and it shows someone who's like very in command of her voice and her physicality, but, mm-hmm. but yeah, but you wouldn't know that there's like maybe greater depth to her from this, but yeah. So I think it maybe like typifies like a certain type of Blanchett role that is maybe not like the most impressive part of her. You know? Yeah. I love this sort of, um, I was reading reviews about mm-hmm. manifesto. So there is this quote from David fear in Rolling Stone, who says there is a story about a, 
turn of a century theater queen Sarah Bernhardt reading the phone book so emotionally <laughs> that the audience was left weeping. <laughs> That's what Blanchett is doing here. <laughs> she adds a human element. She can turn anything into art, even artistic navel gazing. <laughs> and I think this this comes back to what what we were just talking about. Sure. I mean, she is compelling to watch <laughs> because who wouldn't want to watch her do thirteen episodes? <laughs> and truthfully, I love that that segment where she's talking to herself and <laughs> she ends every sentence as both characters by saying Kate. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's like a fun moment, Mm -hmm. but it's also it's just like to what end? Like I don't think it sort of adds anything and and the whole project I do think the whole project is a little bit of a navel gazing, Mm -hmm. but it's also like for someone like me who adores Kate, (laughs) I enjoyed these ninety four minutes because I got to see her play so many different things. Sure, yeah. And I don't know, it's interesting the the David Fear quote because I yeah, the idea of that, like, you know, Sarah Bernhardt could bring you to tears. I, nothing in this performance would bring me to tears. Like, I, <laughs> I mean, I, I think I got most frustrated with this sort of, um, like, British punk because it was just, like, so affected. And, like, there were mm-hmm. so many, like, kind of, like, broad ticks. And, like, it felt like she was, like, aping archetypes that I've seen in movies before mm-hmm. rather than being a person. In my glorious isolation, I am illuminated by the marvellous incandescence of my electrically charged nerves. But yeah, the, just like the the artifice of it was so apparent, which mm-hmm. I don't have any problem with. I love theatricality and yeah. acting, and I yeah. like am a personal enemy of naturalism for the most part. But but yeah, I found it more distracting. It felt like someone doing like an acting class exercise and it felt like a fully realized performance. And maybe she and Rosenfeld had fun doing it, coming up yeah. with the concept. I mean, it says in the notes that I, you know, when I was doing research that he sort of thought of the concept when he saw I'm Not There and saw mm-hmm. what mm-hmm. she was doing as Bob Dylan. And right. so he came up with this concept inspired by that. Mm-hmm. So I definitely think they probably had fun together mm-hmm. working on it and collaborating. And I think the the installation works better mm-hmm. because there is just effect in the installation that you don't get from f- sitting in a movie theater or sitting, sitting at home mm-hmm. watching this. So maybe, I don't know. I don't think this should have been a movie, but... Yeah. I'm happy that it's a movie because I can just, if I want to watch Kate Blanchett say Dada for 10 minutes, I can just put it on. Yeah, it's definitely got like a lot of like sort of like small pleasures in it. Though yeah. it's funny saying that it seems like they had fun on it. That's kind of like when you come out of a play and you're like, the set was gorgeous. Yes. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Your friends like been in a show and they're like, what do you think? You're like, you're a costume designer. Great. <laughs> really impressive. <laughs> Uh, you guys seem to be having a lot of fun up there. Yeah. I think they did. <laughs> and I mean, I think also adding to the fun, um, not only was it Kate and Julian mm. Rosenfeld, but also her husband and children appear in one of these segments. Yeah. And it's funny to, to see them sort of like acting with her because they're probably just thinking, oh, we have to deal with one of mom's <laughs> artistic projects. <laughs> so they're the kids and the husband at the dinner table. Is yes. that right? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But she had a very interesting southern accent. Yeah, it's not as good as the gift. I tell you, there are some of these actors who I think are just brilliant technicians, have great accents, but when they try to do American ones, it it gets a little dicey. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I mentioned uh, Kate Winslet earlier, but she's like the most egregious one for me. Always, she's always uh, just like, "Oh my god, we gotta get out of here! <laughs> what are we doing?" <laughs> And listeners, if you can tell by now, Shelley is an actor too. <laughs> yeah, now I feel bad uh, 
criticizing a far superior actor. <laughs> well, you know, accents, not everybody can do them. This there are true. some people who cannot do an accent to save yeah, their lives. Like know? Nicole Kidman, who always sounds like Nicole Kidman, no matter where she her character's does. from. I know, Big Little Lies. I was like, I'm not sure where she's supposed to be from. <laughs> from planet Nicole Kidman. There you go. And that's fine, because she's Nicole. <laughs> um, I want to mention one thing about... You know, one one of the things that I really like about Kate Blanchett's performance is that mm-hmm. she is a technician, but she's also a master gestural actor, mm-hmm. and she's somebody mm-hmm. who uses her body well. She's always she uses gestures so well mm-hmm. in performance, and this is one this is one why I sort of enjoyed watching Manifesto because mm-hmm. there is there's all all these little gestures in mm-hmm. all the performances. For instance, when she was playing the TV newscaster, yeah. They shot her at the beginning before the newscast starts and she's changing her shoes Mm -hmm. and she's like, you know, standing on one leg and then on the other. And it's just these little things that build a character in, in a real movie, they would build a character in this. It was just fun asides that are just fun to watch. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I think like her gate as the homeless man. I think that that's really fantastic. And, you know, to go back to seeing her in Uncle Vanya, like her physical work in that show was just so incredible. And I mean, part of it is that like, she's got this incredible like instrument at her disposal. She's mm-hmm. so tall and she's lean. And like when she first made her entrance in the play, she was like in this white suit and just like her silhouette, she looked like like a 50s fashion drawing. And like just the way that she knows how her body looks and that she can manipulate it to its best effect is really impressive. But I will say, when she was playing the British punk, she was doing a lot of arm stuff that I was like, tone it down! (laughs) I know. I think one of the reviews that I was reading said something about she needed the director to to tell her exactly how to tone down your arms. So you're not alone, (laughs) Shelly. But so Manifesto, we're kind of mixed on. But, you know, if you love Kate Blanchett, we assume you do. If you're listening to this podcast, you can just go watch it. She plays 13 different characters. It's 90 minutes doesn't really work, but it's fun to watch just the performance of it. And I also think that, like, it's very worthwhile to watch if you do it as a double bill with the Waiting for the Artist. Like, I think that they really complement each other really well. Yeah, and that gives you two hours very well, two hours about being an artist and what it means. Yeah. And tell us more. Why do you think they complement each other? Um, I think that they're very interesting for the moments in which they're occurring. I think that this sort of, like, you know, obviously there were plenty of things for people to be angry about as artists prior to the Trump era. But I feel like it wasn't so much just like in the air of like the cultural consciousness of like having a sense of responsibility in art. So this happening in 2015, it feels it feels like a bit more normalized that it would be this sort of like internal looking like art for art's sake sort of project. Whereas like, you know, document, documentary now episode is obviously like a half hour of silly comedy, but also the fact that like, it made a point of really addressing like gender imbalance in the art world Mm. that it feels like it's taking seriously the idea that it needs to have something to say yeah and I think just like seeing the way that she approaches performance in each one the ways in which like a lot of the characters in manifesto sort of feel like sketches which I think makes sense considering like the time restraints and Mm -hmm. the fact that they are such short performances Whereas, like, she dug so deep on, um, you know, this half-hour TV show. Yeah, that's the biggest surprise to me. Yeah. Is like, this is, like, it seems like such 
a great concept for a performance. Like mm-hmm. she really did her homework, got right. everything that she, and she had an idea about mm-hmm. Marina Abramovich. She had an idea about her art. She had an idea about how to perform it. Like mm-hmm. it's so well modulated for just, you know, how short it is and what it is. Yeah. And I think also the fact that manifesto is sort of straightforward gallery art that sometimes feels like a parody of gallery art. Yeah. Whereas the Documentary Now episode is a parody of performance art that honestly sometimes sits on some, like, pretty conceptually, like, kind of moving pieces. Like, even if they're sort of ridiculous in their execution, like, her with the bucket on her head. Like, yeah. it's it's a silly piece, but it's also one that sad. you... Sad. That and is you, sad, and you could see it happening in a gallery context and mm-hmm. be like, actually, that's pretty lovely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that, that part of it was very sad to me. I'm like, wow, yeah. like, you know... Somebody did go through this, right, and it yeah. was it was hurtful. Right, yeah. yeah. So yeah, documentary now that episode is is so brilliant. Yes. So now I'm gonna ask you some questions about Kate Blanchett. Excellent. How? <laughs> so do you remember sort of like your first introduction? What first first movie you saw of hers? Ooh. I think I can't remember the first time I saw her because it feels like she's just like been in the cultural consciousness for so long that like my entire time as... Since the um, late 90s. Yeah, yes. my entire time as like a movie lover, she's just been so present as someone who is like, you know, known as this sort of like top tier actor. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, I think that my sort of generalized impression of her is I often think of her and um, Tilda Swinton sort of in parallel because um, mm-hmm. they're sort of similar looking. They're both these sort of like, you know, theater trained actors um, who are sort of like affected, but, you know, are really fascinating to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's been interesting to see like how their careers differ because I feel like Tilda Swinton tends to go for like completely batshit projects and then yeah. like she's someone that you can like trace from her time with like Derek Jarman and then Kate works in like a sort of more mainstream way, but brings this sort of like artistic integrity to these kind of mainstream films. Yeah. She does work with the biggest directors like Scorsese, yeah, Fincher. Right. You know, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, no, it's, um, yeah, she's interesting. She feels like someone who can bring a bit of like sparkle and integrity and strangeness to, um, to more mainstream work. Is there a performance of hers or a movie of hers that only you like? only I like or some you know something that people don't some performance that people don't talk about when they talk about Kate Blanchett I mean I hate to keep going back to that Uncle Vanya performance but honestly it was (laughs) it was huge for me it was like a really really big deal it was her and Richard Roxburgh and like it's one of the best theater performances I've ever seen the two of them together were electric have you seen her um streetcar I haven't. No. Oh, God, she was weird. amazing yeah. in that. Um, I think that's one of the best theater experiences I've ever had. Yeah. Oh, um, I can imagine. But you also love Oscar and Lucinda, right? I do really love Oscar and Lucinda because I was a big fan of the book. And, you know, Gillian Armstrong is, of course, incredible. Yeah, and I think she's, like, really luminous in the role because in the book, I think that that Lucinda's described as, like, a bit more of an oddball, someone that, like, a Tilda Swinton would maybe play. Yeah. Um, but I like that she, especially because, like, Ray Fiennes is doing a lot in the movie. That He's being the oddball. Yeah. yeah, he's being the oddball. And so that she's, like, sort of grounded and that, you know, she's so young in it and she mm. feels so, like, fresh and, like, bursting with energy. And, like, I think we now think of her as sort of this, like, not necessarily like a grand dame of the arts or whatever, but... <laughs> 
but yeah, just to see her at that like early stage in her career and it feels different than what she does now. Yeah, yeah. it's really exciting. And I mean, also, you know, I was not a very good film, but Ocean's Eight, she's great. Yeah, she, yeah, she and Sandra Bullock have like amazing chemistry together, and like just to see her do something so like smooth and like sexy and tough, like it's really cool. I think her her character in Ocean's Eight is maybe the closest to her real life persona. I think so, yeah. And it's fun. It's almost Christmas, so it's yeah. Carol time. Ugh. Carol Mass. Yes. So I'm assuming you like you love Carol. I love Carol. The year that I came out, I threw a Carol through Christmas party. I made everybody come dressed up in like 50s outfits. Uh, I made the like spinach and eggs. I I love Carol. <laughs> so tell 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 us something um from Carol, a scene, a moment, anything that you, that you particularly like about Carol. Oh gosh, it's so hard. There's so much that's so great about it. I mean, the scene where Rooney Mara first comes over to her house is, oh, oh God, just so lovely. Just, yeah, the, you know, I feel like a lot of queer film lovers, like especially queer women, were always like asking for like something that's not just a period piece where people like steal glances, um, yeah. <laughs> which I get, but just like this, the specificity and the delicacy of the ways in which like every minor touch that they share mm -hmm. feels so freighted with meaning is oh, just lovely. And the fact that they get a happy ending, that oh, it doesn't yeah. have to be like the lesbians die, you know, it's, it's such a beautiful ending, but yeah. I, I just love what you said that everything they do is, has meaning mm -hmm. and that that's just I think that's a lot of people say nothing happens in this movie and I'm like well maybe you weren't paying attention because every minute so many things <laughs> did you happen. see when she put her hands on her shoulders <laughs> did you see that look <laughs> yes <laughs> uh, love a glove lunch <laughs> yeah Carol is amazing uh, so would you say that Rooney Mara is your favorite Blanchett scene partner or do you have somebody else in mind oh god it's so hard <laughs> um you know what, maybe she is, yeah, because I, Rudy Mara, I think, is really interesting on screen. Like, she's someone that I could never imagine, like, doing theater, because it seems like her power as a performer comes so much from, like, the way that the camera reads her face. Yeah. Which is so perfect for this film that is so much about these, like, small exchange glances and, like, yeah, and the sort of, like, temperamental dynamic between the two of them that, like, Kate is, you know, pretty big and she's got a, like, huge force of personality and... That, yeah, that Rooney Morrow is so, like, sort of sanguine and, like, withdrawn. It's, yeah, they've got a really lovely dynamic together. They do. They complement each other so well. Mm -hmm. And and Carol works because they, they're both in that movie at the top of their game, but also yeah. so different and giving such different performances. Yeah, oh, totally. And yeah. they're both so hot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which doesn't hurt. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't hurt at all. Is there somebody that you would like to see her work with? I was looking at her notes earlier and thinking about this, and I feel like... There are a million people, but off the top of my head, I think my number one would be Michael Shannon. Oh, wow. Uh, wow. The minute you said it, I'm just, right, I want to see right? that. <laughs> yes. Because I think they both have this sort of like theatricality, this sort of like mannered thing, but they also are so unbelievably charismatic and mm -hmm. like can really hold the screen. Because I think that one of the challenges with like people acting against her is that like her charisma is just so overwhelming that it's easy for the other person to get lost. Mm -hmm. And I think that they would really like 
be each other's match. Yeah. Um, and I mean, honestly, I would love to see them do a play together. Yeah. Oh. And you know, she is someone who goes back to the stage all the time. Yeah. She has never, I think she hasn't been on stage since the present, which now is yeah. maybe three years. That's the longest time That's that so I think wild. she hasn't been on stage. Yeah. So it's about time, Kate, if you're listening. Come on, Kate. Oh, Get on Broadway with Michael <laughs> Shannon. Please. Oh, but to go back to screen partners. Yeah. I love her and Rooney, but I got to say her and Richard Roxburgh together were so on stage. Oh, yes, yes. oh my God. Yeah, I have I missed that Uncle Vanya, but I saw everything else that she brought to New York. Yeah. I saw the maid, I saw Streetcar, I saw nice. the present, which had Richard Ross. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they've got a similar thing of like he's I mean, he gets put in these kind of like small roles in films for the most part. Yeah. He's another one who's got like such presence and was like super charismatic and he's like a very physical performer on mm -hmm. stage. And they have played so many right. roles together. Mm -hmm. They did so many plays together throughout the years. Shannon, Roxborough, okay, do something together. There we that, go. that would be great. I love it. Design for living with the three of them. <laughs> yeah. But thank you, Shelly. This has been so much fun to talk to you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming on the podcast. And before we go, tell our listeners where they can find you and your work. You can find me on Twitter at Shelly, S-H-E-L-L-E-Y-B, Farmer. Uh, or you can visit my website, ShellyFarmer.com. And give Shelly a follow on Twitter. She is a great follow. I tweet so much. <laughs> it's <Tweet>. embarrassing. <laughs> it's fun and it's about things I think if you're listening to this podcast, you will care oh, about. <laughs> and I want to thank Shema Asaraf, who edited the Dada clip for this episode. And you can find me on Twitter at M-E underscore says and follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at Sundays with Kate. And until next time, thank you for listening. Thank you.